Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parashat Hukat and there's a very strange verse that says and Moshe made a copper snake on the pole and those who looked at the snake would be healed. So what happened here? <clears throat> the Jewish people had been making harsh com uh, complaints against Moses and Aharon. They were severely criticizing them for the lack of, uh, of, of water, of, uh, they were tired of the manna, the food that came from heaven, they were tired of their journey, they were complaining, they were not happy. And, um, and Hashem saw that this complaint was like a lack of gratitude towards God that he had taken them out of slavery of being 210 years slaves in the land of Egypt and they had endured very harsh conditions there and yes they had to go through 40 years in the desert not because of God's fault they were meant to go into the land of Israel right away but because they did the sin of the golden calf and then they did the, the, they did the sin of the spies and they were delayed 40 years because of their own uh, um, Averas, their own uh, sins. So this showed a lack of gratitude toward Hashem and for everything that he had done for them. We know that in the merit of Moshe, Aharon and Miriam, they had been protected all this time. Uh, uh, Moshe's merit was the manna that came from, the, from heaven. They were fed, nothing, they lacked nothing. They were well, they were healthy. And uh, because of Aaron's merit, they had the clouds of glory that accompanied them during the night, during the day, took care of them from all harsh elements that were part of the, of the, of the desert. And because of Miriam, they had water with them throughout the whole journey. They, she carried the, the Miriam's well, so they lacked nothing really. So their, 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 their complaining had no base. It was like just, they complained because they were complainers. So because of this, the Jews were attacked by snakes and many of them died, a, a lot of them died or some were injured and the Israelites, Israelites repented for this behavior and they did Teshuvah to which God gave Moshe an antidote that would help the, heal the injured and save them from certain death. So this is what this verse, this Pasuk in this parasha says that Moshe made a copper snake and he put it on a pole and those who looked at it uh, became healed. So what is this craziness how can you get healed by looking at a copper snake like really if you look at today's sign that we use for medicine it's a snake it comes from this parasha so the mission states that in truth it, it was not the copper snake what healed them it was not what brought the refua but rather the fact that they looked up towards heaven and reminded themselves that Hashem eh, was the healer. This is what healed them. So what we learn from this parasha is that we don't believe in these things that heal us, healers, potions, no. In reality, it's a medium. It's something to remind us that who is the true healer in this world. So these gener generated feelings of repentance when they looked up eh, to, to the copper snake, it, it brought them to feel uh, that they needed to repent and correct their ways and acknowledge of their wrongdoing and this in turn would heal them. So from here we learn that really what heals us is our Teshuvah. The Teshuvah is the Keili, is the vessel for our healing. 
So why would a copper snake specifically was able to achieve this in a person? Like to look at a copper snake, it would remind them of their, of their Averas. They should have been told to look up and repent. Like why would they have to have a symbol to be a reminder of this? Couldn't it be enough that Moshe would tell them like look up and repent? Look at the sky. So what is the significance of a copper snake and a pole and why were they required to look up? If we look in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, the laws concerning prayer seem to contradict this. And it says that when we're praying, the eyes of the person should be looking down. We should not be looking up when we're praying. We should be looking down. And, um, and, the, and the eyes are to look below while the heart is to look up and think of the one above. So this generates feelings when we're praying. It, it generates feelings of, of like we have to concentrate on what we feel towards God. It's interesting because the Torah talks a lot about what we think. But here it's talking about generating, generating feelings of, uh, of, of awe for Hashem. And that's, that's generated in the heart. So to understand this, one must know that the primary purpose of the soul's descent into this world about, uh, below is to cleave to Hashem with love and fear. So we have a soul that is up in heaven, it's completely attached to God, it's basking in Hashem's radiance. Why in the world would a soul need to come down here to this world where God is hiding, where, where we don't see him, we don't hear him, sometimes we even doubt if he exists, to come and attach ourselves to him. So the state of the vacos, which is attachment to God, is specially achieved through prayer. This is where we can come to attach ourselves mostly to God. The intelligent question to ask is, why does the soul need to descend at all? To attach to God. If before the descent, he was already attached to God. So not only that, but the soul state is not constricted by the coarseness of the body. So when we're not in this world and we're in the world of, of souls up there, like we don't have a body that creates constriction, it creates limits for the soul. When we're down here, we have a body which is a coarse entity that really um, makes our uh, the the the, the the soul be like in a type of a jail, let's say it that way, which forces the soul to also receive pleasure of the material world. So the body, you know, the body is the body. The body likes to eat well, the body likes to party, to have nice drinks, to have good, good times. So this is despite that the divine soul doesn't desire the material world and his only concern is, is to attach itself to God. So you have two entities here. You have, actually you have three. You have a godly neshama inside of you. It's a spark of God. It's mamish, a piece of God inside of you, which is pure and holy. And the only thing this soul wants is to be attached to God. It has no other agenda. Then you have an, an animal soul, which is instincts, is the instincts, is the ego, is the, is the, the material world, is the pleasures. It doesn't like to have pain and it's seeking pleasure all the time. And this pleasure is received by the body. So, um, so the Zohar teaches us that one who does not turn darkness into light 
does not have a portion in the world to come. So the reason for this is because this is the exact reason and purpose for our descent into this world. Now, uh, let's us understand the purpose of evil. So to go a little bit back, the whole purpose of the soul inside a body in this world is not to elevate the soul. The soul doesn't need to be elevated. The soul will never lose its, uh, its, 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 uh, its place. A soul is a, it's a neshama, it's a godly entity. It's never going to lose its place. It's always pure, it's always clean, it's always good. But the body, that's the problem. So we come into this world really is to elevate the body. That's the job of the soul, is to come and help refine that body. So now let us understand the purpose of evil and how good can be found within it. So the method of sweetening harsh decrees <clears throat> is through their source. So in other words, all the evil, pain, and suffering that occurs in this world, eh, that people suffer personally or communal suffering or Today we suffer for everybody because we are so connected to all the world. So anything that happens anywhere, we're suffering more today than people used to suffer before. Because people before, something that happened in Sri Lanka, they had no idea ever what happened in Sri Lanka. So they were not affected by it. But today we are exposed to the whole suffering of the whole world. So if there is a tragedy in... Uh, I don't know, in Kenya somewhere, we are exposed to that tragedy and we feel it. So we suffer, we're suffering more than people used to suffer in, in the olden days because in the olden days people used to suffer their pain and whatever was going around their life. But they, did, they didn't suffer extra. Today we're suffering extra. So it is good that the, that the that creates and vivifies them, giving them life and existence. Uh, so the good, which is holiness, which is God, is what gives us life in this existence. It's what vivifies us. So this good is similar to the parable of the, of the harlot. This parable is in the Zohar, and it's very well explained by the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya. And this parable tells us about a king who has a, a son, he has a crown prince, and he wants to make sure that this prince is gonna be fitting to be the next king of this kingdom. So he hires a harlot, he hires a, she's really not a harlot, she, he hires a woman, and he tells this woman to please act as a harlot, and entice his son and, 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 and see how he behaves. So this woman really, knows that she's not a harlot. She knows she's not a harlot. She knows the purpose for her to go and entice the, the prince. She really doesn't want to do this. She doesn't want this prince to fall down. She doesn't want to see that. So what does she do? She hires another woman. And this other woman also has to go and make believe she's a harlot and go to the prince and, and entice him and make him fall. This woman also doesn't want to do this. She doesn't want to be part of that. So she hires another woman. And this other woman does the same thing. And again, she hires another woman until she hires a harlot, a true harlot. So by the time she, she hires this true harlot, this harlot really has no interest in, the, in, in really testing this boy. She doesn't care if he falls or he, or, or he rises. She just wants to do her job. And this is evil in this world. This is how it works. At the beginning, 
up in the upper realms, the evil is rooted in good. The whole purpose of evil is to make a person refine himself, is to challenge that person, is to put that person to a test so that person wins. They want him to win. They don't want him to lose. But by the time this purpose comes down to this world, it trickles down here, it has forgotten what's the purpose of it. So evil in this world really is evil. That's how we have to see it, it's evil. So the problem lies in that the evil force below in this world becomes like the last harlot who doesn't remember the real purpose of her job. And, in, and its intentions are truly ugly and evil. So their, or, their origin and current existence is really from a level of good and a mission to fulfill God's will to the test, to test that person and have him prevailed, and hence bringing satisfaction both to God and to the origin of evil. Based on the above, when a person, God forbid, experiences suffering in this world, he should not view it as an end in itself. When a person, God forbid, has to go through, through suffering, and uh, I know many people watch this, and each person has their own uh, suffering. I'm not trying here to make it not be felt, uh, or, 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 or it's not a, I'm not a psychologist, or, or, or this, this is Torah, this is a Zohar, I'm teaching a parasha. But maybe it's helpful to understand that when we experience tragedy, suffering, pain, all these things in, in our personal life, in our world, if we can connect to these truths, if we can come to understand that the root of this suffering, the whole root of this suffering, and its cause and its motive, and how truly it's rooted in good, it's not rooted in evil because nothing bad can come from God. Nothing bad can come from Him. He only wants the good for us. And the whole purpose of our descent here is really to be able to attach ourselves to Him through our efforts, not because we're up there basking in His radiance. That's too easy. That's too easy. When you're close to God and there's nothing going on, it's too easy to be attached to God. But to come down here and be so disconnected in a certain way from this reality because the whole world grabs us and takes us somewhere else and to be always conscient and aware of this truth that the evil, the, the suffering, the pain that we have to go through in this world really comes from a good place. So an exemplary person in the, in the Talmud who taught us this concept throughout the generation is Nahum Ish Gamzu. And who was this man, Nahum Ish Gamzu? He, he was a person that was always accustomed, he made it a point in his life to always say Gamzu Letova, this is good. This is what, how he lived his life, this was his philosophy, this was the way he thought, this was the way he saw it. And there's a story told about him uh, that he was once sent by, by, um, by the rulers in Israel, in Jerusalem, to go to the Roman emperor and uh, try to convince him to make better laws for the Jews. This was in the times of the Roman Empire in, in Jerusalem before the... the 
before the destruction of the Second Temple. And he was sent to Rome to plead with the Roman Empire about, uh, about being more lenient in certain things that he had imposed in the Jews with the taxes and all this. So he went to Rome and he went with a big, big chest full of uh, precious treasures. And uh, on his way to Rome, he had to st stop in a certain place and he stayed in an inn and that night he went to sleep. The owner of the inn understood that this chest was a treasure. And when he was sleeping, he went into the room. He stole everything that was inside of this chest and he filled it with sand. The next day, Nahum Ishgamzu, he took his chest and he went on his way. He didn't even open it. He didn't even realize that he could have been uh, uh, stolen from. And he went down to Rome. And when he went to Rome, he came to the Roman Empire with his chest and he offered it to the Roman Empire. When he opened the chest, guess what? There was no treasures, there was sand. So the Roman Emperor got very upset. He threw him in the dungeon. And uh, this seemed to be the, the end of him. But uh, Nahum Ishgamsu was very, like, he had this idea in his head and he was saying, Gamzule Tova, Gamzule Tova, this is good, this is good. And he said to the Roman emperor, you know, I think you're, you, you think I'm trying to fool you, but in reality, this sand that is contained in this chest is very precious sand. This sand used to belong to Abraham Avinu, our forefather. And when he had to go and fight the war with the five kings, he came with this chest and with this sand and he opened the, the chest and the sand came, with the wind came and the sand went out and the sand became arrows and he won the war. So the emperor said, okay, I'm gonna throw you in the dungeon. Let's wait and see what happens. Whenever I get into a war, I'll, I'll test this sand and we'll see. So he was like, okay, Gamzule Tova, Gamzule Tova. So it happened to be that Rome was going through a war and they took this chest with the sand and when they opened the chest with the sand, a miracle happened and eventually the sand came out. It became arrows and it killed the other army and the, the, the Romans were victorious. So, so the, we see from here that uh, this Think, thought process of think good and it will be good, which the Rebbe used to, used to repeat all the time to people. It's true. It's, it's, you, can change the, you can change the reality just by the way you look at life. It changes. It's a miracle. So Nahum Ishgamsu was liberated at the end. He went back to Jerusalem and he came back with a chest full of treasures. So the soul in the body throughout its lifetime goes through tremendous suffering. The reason for this is that its true desire is to cleave to God. So the soul also, also suffers. When the soul comes into this world, it suffers because it's really like in exile. It's like, like we're in exile. We're in the, in the, in the, in the Galut. And at the same time as we physically Jews are in the Galut right now and we're living in exile and that's what creates our own suffering, the soul also is in exile and the Shekhinah of Hashem is in exile. So for example, when a Jew goes to a non-kosher restaurant and is feeding his body uh, shrimps or, ri or, or pork or whatever things that are not meant to be for us, the soul suffers. It, it suffers, it really suffers. And since the soul is a spark of God, is a, a mamesha, a piece of Hashem inside of you, it's a spark, 
the Shekhinah of God also suffers. So you're dragging your soul and the spark of Hashem into a place and this part of you suffers. So, so uh, similarly to the suffering of the, of the Shekhinah, the divine presence which is forced to vivify the body even of the wicked ones because everybody's alive because the divine presence is vivifying us the entire purpose of this descent is not for the soul itself but to elevate the body from its state of dust so this is compared to a piece of silver which is refined by the silversmith by putting it in the fire numerous times until it shines there's a story in Mishlei which is beautiful that there's um, there, I heard, I read once that there was this group of women learning this verse in Mishlei, in the Book of Kings, in which God is similar to a silversmith, and they wanted to understand what this uh, comparison was. So one of the ladies said, "You know what? I'm going to go to a silversmith. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch him, and I'm going to see how this verse." really is talking about the, the comparison between the silversmith and God. How, how does it compare? So she went there, she sat, she saw, the guy would sit all day with a piece of silver in his hand, put it in the fire, take it out of the fire, put it in the fire, take it out of the fire for hours. And he couldn't even like drop the thing in the fire and go and have a coffee because it would get ruined. So she asked him at the end of the day, how do you know when this piece of silver is ready? So the man, the silversmith said, it's very easy. When I take it out and I can see my reflection in it, then I know it's ready. So Hashem, in a certain way, is this silversmith that is putting us in the fire, taking us out of the fire, putting us in the fire, taking us out of the fire. At the end, when he can see his reflection in us, that's when he can know that we are ready, that we are refined. So this is the world, this is life. We are here to be refined, to refine our body, the physical. It's to elevate it. And, um, and so the body must refine from the Yetzirah. We have to be refined. That's why we do the counting of the Omer. That's why we have 613 mitzvot and we follow all this. It's so we can refine ourselves. And, um, and when, we, when we are able to refine the, the evil part of ourselves and the, we can bring it back to its root and source and the more the evil and the body contains the greater the fire of love filled prayer it requires to be refined so what it's saying here is that prayer really helps us refine that part of ourselves prayer done with the right way with the right kavana with the right intention with passion with with strength it really can come to refine our bodies so the purpose of the copper snake being placed in the pole was to emphasize that those who were smitten should look up at the root of the snake up high. So they should contemplate how the snake is not absolute evil and has been merely been separated from his source above. And the copper represents the ability to change to the good due to the nature of the copper, which if you look at copper, it's always changing hues. It's always, the color is never like a, a, a full color, like it reflects whatever is going around it and it, it can get different hues. So. Sometimes we feel that the challenges uh, imposed in our generation are too heavy to bear. 
to this we must understand that we are living in Mashiach times. We're really in the footsteps of, of, of Mashiach. We're in the last birth pangs before uh, Mashiach comes. And if we can compare it to a woman giving birth, the last moments of her birth are the most painful because the contractions become one after the other. And it's, it's very painful. Thank God today we have a, anesthesia for that. But in olden days, it was like that. And today some people do it with no help. But if you talk to a woman, that last moments of her birth are the most painful ones. So we must understand that our pain has a purpose. This is very important, that our pain is not um, purposeless. It has a mission, it has a purpose, and we, when we come to final, when we will come finally to the de final destination, we will be able to understand and appreciate the good that was contained in what seemingly it looked like evil. So I leave you here. I wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.